Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity, emergency management, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Longtime listeners and viewers, you will know that I attended the Disaster Recovery Journal Fall 2023 conference with my co-host, James Green. We did a live broadcast from there, and we got to talk to a lot of great speakers and guests that stopped by. And if I was lucky enough, I wanted to be able to get some of those guests and speakers to come on to the show and do an actual episode of their own. And today, I am lucky enough to do that. We're going to be talking on the topic of, are you focusing on the proper areas of resiliency for your organization? And I'd like to welcome to the show the presenter of that topic, Carrie Jasger. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you joined us on the live broadcast. Uh, you and I, I worked... Did. On, on something else, I think, uh, about two years ago as well. So this is kind of like your third uh, appearance uh, with me on, on the show in one form or another. So I, I know a little bit about you, but we may have some global listeners that uh, aren't familiar with Carrie and shame on them. But could you take a, a minute or two and tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you got into this crazy industry of ours? Sure. Um, I'll start with the the latter part of that is how I got into this. Um, I, I like to have I have a, a little saying that nobody wakes up and says, I want to do resiliency. Uh, it just does not happen. There's not really a formal education program to get you here outside of risk management, really. So there's usually three paths. Um, you fell into it and have been spending your entire career trying to get back out. <laughs> you, were, you were voluntold because someone tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, we need someone to do this. Why don't you try and figure it out? Or you have the foresight to suggest to your organization that this might be an area we might want to focus on uh, as the world is changing to ensure that we can continue to deliver to our customers. Whatever the reason you got here, it's a great place to be. Uh, it's one of the few environments that, that really does evolve continuously. So not like you know accounting that it's pretty much the same as it was 30 years ago. You just use technology now instead of a pencil and a green bar sheet. So it's it's an ever-changing, emerging world. Uh, very, very fascinating. I've been lucky enough to be in the industry for just over 30 years uh, in various iterations. Uh, I started my career back when disaster recovery was the backup server right next to the production one, and you just move the cable in the back. I remember those, too. <laughs> and that, that, was, that was your DR plan um, all the way through. Uh, working as a global consultant for 15 years, um, helping organizations around the world either start, develop, maintain, advance their programs to the next level to meet whatever needs they had. Uh, as a consultant, I was often brought in for one of three reasons again. Uh, a, you failed an audit. Uh, B, something happened and you were woefully unprepared. Or C, you just thought it was a really good idea. I'm happy to say most of them were the C ones, which is great. Um, Good. But I've been, I've enjoyed my journey and have really liked evolving and working across multiple industries. And I guess that brought you to your topic at DRJ. Yes. So I had what brought that up was the culmination of years of experience of where were organizations failing? So as a consultant, why was I being brought in? Um, what was I supposed to fix? And that kind of led to the creation of this topic to kind of help organizations and the continuity professionals identify, are they putting their efforts in the right place? Are, is, it, it, is it more than 
just doing BIA after BIA? Is there something else that they can be doing to catapult their uh, program to the next level? Well, let's jump into your presentation and talk about some of the the, uh, key pieces of it. Um, One of the first things you identified is you talk about the new normal. Can you explain what you meant by the new normal? So everyone has heard in one iteration or another the new normal as reference to a post-COVID-19 world. Um, I use the phrase because it, it does resonate with individuals. However, there is no such thing really as a new normal. It's just a different normal. So how we do business dramatically changed over the course of two years. Regardless of the industry you're in, things changed. And organizations that were more in the forefront of their resilience landscape were able to pivot sooner. Others were scrambling 18 months after trying to figure out how to get remote work to operate properly, how to get it to everyone at home, how to continue everything. So I really took the approach of it's, well, I'm old enough to remember the whole Y2K scare. So think of it about that (laughs) is one day you did things a certain way. And the next day it's like, oh boy, uh, what happened? How do we pivot for this? So it's, it's not so much a new normal as it is a different perspective on business. Yeah, I, I like that because, uh, you know, just using the, the term, you know, what's normal for you may not be normal for me or another organization. And we can be in the same industry. Exactly. And still do something different. So the new normal, well, if we've all got a, definition, a different definition of normal, what does new normal mean then? So, so that, <laughs> that makes more yep. sense, you know, a different normal. Yeah, so it's, it's a different normal. It's a different perspective. It's looking at business through a different lens. Um, and as you mentioned, you, know, you could be in the same industry, you could be competitors, and still, depending on your resilience landscape, one of one of you may be more prepared than the other. Yes, and we really found that out as a result of COVID. <laughs> who was and who wasn't? <laughs> uh, it was, I don't want to really link it to, but it was the second wake-up call uh, that organizations got in relate in relation to their resiliency aspect. So the second big one, there was a little little one in between. So Hurricane Sandy being one of those, at least for the eastern mm-hmm. seaboard of the U.S. and up into uh, east part of Canada, that was a a second kind of aha moment of we need to figure out and move a little bit more. The first one, of course, being you know the surge in our industry of of nine yeah. eleven, and that's when that's when resilience was always there, but that's where it really got its foothold. Yeah. And uh, I do remember the Y2K stuff, too. So you're making me feel old today, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's move on to uh, some of the key areas you talked about in your resilience program that um, organizational leaders should be focusing on. So let's go through some of the ones that you identified. And the first one you talked about was risk assessments. So we've all done risk assessments in our career at some point. But what I was uh, mentioning during the session was, are you doing the appropriate type of assessment? Are you assessing your program against where you are today and where you want to be as a general whole, looking at, you know, some holistic areas saying, you know, we're, we're at a, you know, a two here, we can do this. We could probably improve it by documenting it, automating it, modernizing it. And that takes us to a three or a four. But it's more than just your basic risk assessment. It's it's a holistic assessment of even if you wanted to consider as as we talk about the same industry, you know, what are your competitors doing that's publicly available that you can compare yours against? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, how are they how are they prepared? Uh, I've done as a consultant, I've actually done assessments in job description to see if. Similar positions are being offered, you know, remote or hybrid or all on site that lends to the resilient landscape of the overall organization. So it's, it's, are you assessing the right thing to get the desired outcome rather than just, oh, yes, we know this is a risk. We can all do that. 
Well, how do you go about changing that whole perspective, uh, perspective then? Because let's face it, when even you can do a search on online and you'll get risk assessments, you know, what's your impact to a fire, a flood, or, uh, you know, a financial impact as a result of this, or, you know, those kind of very basic questions. How do you change that perspective? Because that's what everyone's familiar with, including leadership. And as politely as possible, the best way to actually do that is, while we're all aware of what our risk factors might be, what our mitigation steps are, it's, I have found it's beneficial to actually share with leadership what happens if we do not mitigate that risk. So again, depending on your organizational culture, if you've got that you know, strong buy-in from leadership, leadership and you can speak candidly, you know, this is what happens if we do not put this in place that mitigates their threat. Um, anytime you talk about money, that's a really easy way to get someone's attention. <laughs> or if, if you talk about reputation, that's another way to get people's attention. No, but no organization wants to be on the front page unless it's a good thing. Yeah. It, I find it really hard sometimes to change that, though, because um, the leadership is so focused on just a couple of key areas like like you just mentioned too you know our, our brand our our financial standing so how do you 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 get them to see through a different light even if i can sit in front of them you know we still uh, us business continuity people or disaster recovery people or crisis management whatever you want to call us we're still often seen as oh here comes those disaster guys again what are they going to complain about now you know <laughs> So how do you get that whole mindset to change to say, hey, this guy's, this guy, this girl, whoever it is, is bringing up some really interesting things we need to consider. So I, a little step back. Uh, once upon a time, I worked for a university in Washington, D.C., and that's when I went on site every day. Uh, outside my door was, of course, my name and my title, and underneath it, someone had another sign made that said the doom and gloom guy. Um <laughs> Because that's that's essentially what we are. You know, we're not revenue generating. So we're the ones that only point out problems. We do our very best to point out viable solutions for those problems. But the leadership stance is, I do not want to talk to that person because they're just going to tell me something else is broken and we need to spend money to fix it. Which is kind of true. That's essentially what we do, not so barbaric, but essentially what we do. And changing that mindset of how do I get you engaged that you want to talk to me? And that's, as mm -hmm. I mentioned, is, is start showing what happens if we do not. So do nothing is always an option. It may, may not be the most effective option, but it is always an option. So if we do nothing, this is what happens. You know, if we do not properly have our third-party vendors vetted, that we understand what their resiliency programs are in place so that they can, if something happens to them, there's protections in place so we can still continue. We ran into, for a lot of organizations during COVID, supply chain being mm -hmm. a massive problem. It's showing leadership and not just leadership, but showing the business owners, the ones that actually do the work, Okay, you do this, you know, important service. If you do not do that, tell me what happened so I can tell leadership where it's going to hit us. And so getting that engagement with the business owner truly in an ownership role of owning what it is that they do and owning their plans, not just me writing it and saying, here's your plan, but, you know, hopefully you do not have to use it, but getting it written in such a way that we've done the very best mitigation possible, but more important, we've actually identified what happens if we do nothing or what happens if we do something wrong. Mm -hmm. And if you can present that to leadership, it ha allows them to look at, you know, that technology or that process differently. So, you know, if you say to uh, someone in senior leadership, you know, what, happen, what happens if Office 365 goes down? Okay, first thing is, well, it can never never go down. I need my email. I'm like, oh, okay. No offense to senior leadership, but you're the last person to read their email. Um, so you, you <laughs> yeah. probably do not need it. But what I point out is 
do we have other means of, of communication outside of email? Do you have another structure that's outside the office umbrella that you can use? Mobile phones, texting, you know, stuff like this, like Zoom. And re remind them also, you know, in a case of Office 365, if Office 365 goes down, there's more people involved than just that. Right. Yeah. You could true. have entire geographic yeah. regions offline. Uh, most organizations have moved away from the, you, you know, have you have your ex exchange server in a data center somewhere. Um, it's all that cloud world to make it seamless and easy and we can carry it in our pocket. Um, but it's, it's getting leadership to look at things differently. So more than just their traditional, here's our plan, here's what happens if we lose technology, this is what we do. Okay, great. Well, what if that does not work? Yeah. Do, we have a, do we have a backup for our backup? And getting them to think holistically. And again, as I mentioned, when you, when you point out if you can directly connect something to reputation or financial loss, suddenly you have everyone's attention. That's true. Yes. On that note, believe it or not, we've already come to the end of our first segment. Today, we're talking with Carrie Jasger, and we're talking about focusing on the proper areas of resilience within your organization. And we will be right back. Birdie told me Voice America is on X. Follow us at Voice America TRN. How do you cultivate braver, more daring leaders? And how do you embed the value of courage in your culture? How do you take charge of your life and achieve your goals and bring about positive changes that propel you forward? On The Leader's Edge, join your hosts, Steve and Ernie, as they bring a mix of insights in personal and leadership growth that shapes your culture and the culture around you. Lean in and learn intentionally how to accelerate into your next best life. Tune into The Leader's Edge with Ernalita DeCumos and Steve Steele, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today, we are talking with Carrie Jasger, and we are talking about focusing on the correct areas of resiliency within your organizations. Uh, Carrie, great first segment there. There were two areas that I wanted to quickly touch on. Uh, one is, it sounded at one point as though you were saying, we should understand the business better. In order to be successful at what we do, we need to understand the business inside out, upside down, backwards and forwards. Because not only, our role is not merely to document, our, our role is to guide and to enhance. So by understanding the business now, depending on the industry you work in. If you work in, in pharma, for example, do you need to understand the complexity of the manufacturing process? No, you do need to understand the key segments of manufacturing so that you can speak to what, you know, what can we protect? What can we not protect? What can be done remotely? What cannot be done remotely? And then having that conversation with the business. So think of it as an enhanced personal BIA, so you're not asking your standard, you know, what are your technologies you use? You're going into depth of how do you use them? How do you access them? What happens if you do not have access? Do you have an alternate access? So by getting to understand what the department or business unit or functional area does, it helps you paint that picture of 
how to write that plan, but it also helps you identify those inter-organizational dependencies, mm-hmm. what departments are dependent on one another. Something could happen two levels up that this one piece of information that you need to do your that business unit needs to do their job doesn't come through. Have you accounted for that? And without knowing holistically how the business is designed and connected, that's near impossible to do. So we're in some cases writing our plans in a silo, which goes against everything that should be done. We should all play nice together as one big team. <laughs> and the other thing um, you started to allude to, and it's actually the next item uh, that we should be focusing on, and that's supply chains. So there's two ways to look at supply chain. So traditionally, supply chain was raw materials. Um, now, in an ever-changing world, supply chain can also include service providers, um, <laughs> third part, excuse me, third-party vendors that are doing work on your behalf um, that you outsource mm-hmm. things to. So it's more than just the raw material factor. So it's looking at that um, extended organization. So those other bits and pieces that help your organization deliver on what it goods and services it actually produces. So, so I think COVID really taught organizations that from a raw material standpoint, that having supply chain resilience is crucial. And you're seeing more and more job postings for supply chain resilience professional mm-hmm. to work hand in hand with organizational resilience or operational resilience individuals generally on the same team, but they have the the specialty in supply chain, logistics, sourcing, that kind of thing that the average BC professional may not have. Um, But it's it's broadening that team and bringing in expertise on if we rely on goods and services, how do we ensure that we get them no matter what? Yeah, because things on the other side of the world are having impact, you know, uh, right here. You know, and sometimes you never think, like, how is something way over there impacting me here? <laughs> you know, it well, <laughs> yeah, we, we looked at, I mean, looking at, at COVID, for example, the number of container vessels c- coming from Asia to the U.S. or to North America that were just sitting and doing donuts out there because mm-hmm. they could not come into port for contamination issues. They carry raw materials, sometimes finished product that is on the consumer market, and it makes things a little topsy-turvy when you cannot get a hold of them. Right. Uh, the, the second half of that is is those service providers or third-party vendors that are performing a function on your behalf. So when I was a consultant, for example, I used to have a pharmaceutical company that all their clinical research organizations were in China. So they did all of their testing and you know lab work and things like that. They were not able to send inf- product back um, everything, if, if it was not transmitted digitally, there was no way to get that information to take that drug or what have you to the next level of the manufacturing process. Right. Or, you know, as you mentioned, ship containers, um, you know, ones that get stuck in this Suez Canal. Yes. <laughs> and and it, it, that actually leads us to the very next topic, um, polycrisis or simultaneous disruptions, you know, more than more than one situation occurring at a time. Yeah, I, I mentioned in my session that it's not when, it's if. It is going to happen. It has happened. No longer are, do we look at the, you know, depending on where you're at in the country, I'm going to pull off the shelf, you know, my winter storm plan. That's yeah. no longer the case anymore. Um, your, your plan should be written with an all-hazards approach um, and be able to be dynamic in the way that they shift and change to address those emerging calamities. The one that probably is most notable is, is Superstorm Sandy. Nobody was, no one in New York thought a hurricane would hit them, much less massive flooding at the same time, power outages, business closures. So a lot of these compounding things that there were no plans to prepare for because first of all, you have to get out of your mindset, it's not going to happen to me. That's really not true anymore. Um, hurricanes are not just at my house in Florida. They're everywhere. Uh, as we saw, you know, devastating damage for the last several years. But preparing for and being agile enough to adjust on the fly, a lot of that comes with the training of your crisis management team, that they are forward thinking enough 
to be able to make those decisions rapidly. Uh, so we no longer have the decision by committee where everyone sits around in a room and raises their hand and says, yeah, I think this is what we should do next. Mm. Um, by that time, something else has already happened. But we need to look at not only um, you know simultaneous disruptions, but compounding disruptions. So a second force that makes the first one much worse than the first one was. It's it's kind of uh, reminds me of getting rid of your assumptions. You know, the only assumption that's going to be proven correct is that all your assumptions are wrong. Yes, and yeah. there's always always that one fun thing. If anyone ever took geometry in the United States, um, you never assume because uh, let's just break the letters into syllables. Uh, not yeah, <laughs> it's okay. I remember the old Benny Hill skit where you'd circle the first three letters. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. Yeah, <laughs> I just dated myself on that, didn't I? <laughs> Even knowing that reference. So the next one uh, to focus on and look at is exercising and testing. We've all heard the importance of exercising and testing. You know, you can exercise and test, exercise and test, and exercise and test. The true test of your plan is to actually use it. Um, a lot of organizations are reluctant to do a live or or functional test or exercise so we can always we can only get as close as a simulation we can create elaborate scenarios in our brains uh to, to step through all of these but this is another nice little thing that uh i did not originate it but it is very very true is never let a good disaster go to waste that is that is the true test of whether or not your policies, procedures, plans are up to the test, literally. Um, it is beneficial if you use third-party vendors to be involved in their testing as well so that you have a confidence level that they're actually prepared to do what they need to do so you can continue what you need to do. Yeah, we, we used them once in, in a previous test, a, a third-party vendor back in the days when people would keep tapes and things like that off-site. Um, we, our test started by notification and that part of that notification was contacting the vendor to see if how long it would take for them to send us the materials we need, which included all our off quote unquote off-site copies of DR plans and business continuity plans to see how long it would actually really take. So we started to we weren't just testing us. We were testing the processes, testing our vendors and everything. So you really do have to think you know, beyond, okay, let's just start rebuilding exchange, so to speak, or email. It's, it is more than organization-centric. You need to, so depending on the plan you're testing. So a really good example is you're testing your emergency management plan. Get local law enforcement, first responders, mm. you know, the mayor's office. Get them all involved in your, your exercise because you're going to be relying on them to play their role. It's something they, you know, they do day in and day out, but if you've never had that interaction with them, you may not know who to call, what to expect. So getting them involved is going to be extremely useful. Uh, and yeah. nine times out of 10, depending on your, where you live, those services are more than happy to participate. It may take a little bit of wiggling to get it, you know, on a calendar properly, but they're generally very willing because they want to be assured that you're not going to go crazy when they show up. Yeah. And actually we found that out during one of these tests, um, same company, um, one of the same kind of tests. And we did have uh, a uh, the fire department involved and our crisis management team, there were people on there that were supposed to be the point of contact for the, the fire marshal when he showed up. Uh, but when the fire marshal showed up, he already had a relationship and understanding with the facilities manager who wasn't on the crisis management team, or at least didn't have this one particular role. And we discovered a gap because all the questions he was asking the fire marshal uh, couldn't be answered by the person on the crisis management team because all that knowledge was with the facility person who was standing there going, why are you not talking to me? <laughs> and that you bring up a really good point. Um, so when you're building your plans and, and when you're testing them, do you have the right people on the right teams? Mm. Um, not always should the crisis management team be made up of senior leadership. 
they're not in, in direct connection with daily operations. So make sure that you've got the correct people if, if sub-teams need to be created so that you have the people with the knowledge speaking to the people asking the question. Yeah, yeah, like we found out the hard way. <laughs> but it was a good way to, you know, I, I'd rather find that out under a test than find out yes. the situation. So it, it turned out to be good in the end. And we redid, we did a re-juggling of uh, people in some roles to make it fit the, what we learned. So that was good. And there, and, there are... There are some resources from an exercise standpoint that if people have access to them. So the U.S. federal government takes tests and exercises very, very seriously. Um, and there is a series of scenarios and playbooks that have been created by the Department of Homeland Security uh, that can assist organizations in creating different type of exercise scenarios, you know, chemical waste, bomb threat, all of those to to get a more realistic feel and a more dynamic and changing rather than something that's scripted. Yeah. I, I tell you know, every time I go through some of these, uh, the leadership or the sponsor, you know, it, we don't want to push people. We don't want to scare them. I'm going, but in a real situation, that's exactly how they're going to feel. So the human condition takes over. <laughs> yeah. So why don't we do that under a control circumstance where at least they know it's a test rather than try and figure that out when they could find out whatever the situation is that, you know, a colleague has gone missing or, you know, injured terribly, you know, they could see something that traumatizes them, you know, test them, push them. Let's, you know, I'm not saying you'll make them cry in a corner, but you know, you know test them on, under different situations. Well, that also, not only you have to factor in the human condition, that, that's just human nature is, is the flight or flight response. Mm -hmm. But it also will help you validate that you have the appropriate people in the appropriate role. Right. Um, if you have someone that, that's going to freak out every single time, maybe they're not the best person to be there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've encountered that too with people who come in there, don't get involved with anything, but they thought they were in charge and would cause more issues. You know, it's like, you're the wrong person. Go away. <laughs> so that moves us into uh, kind of logically the next one, training and awareness. So as we as we mentioned for exercises, you know, if do not expect that your various teams know what they're supposed to do at time of disruption. So an easy one. The IT mentality is generally pretty easy. Server broken, must fix server. So pretty cut, pretty cut and try there. But the on the business side, they may not necessarily know what it is they're supposed to do. I mean, it's it's laid out in their plan, but if it's not written the way they understand it, or logically, or useful for them, they're going to throw it out of the window and just do what comes natural, which may or may not be a good idea. So training the individuals on how to respond. So what I've done for a lot of clients when I was a consultant is prior to an exercise, we would train them on the various aspects of the plan that we were going to be exercising and basically have, think of it like an audition for the exercise is let's walk through, you know, what your roles and responsibilities are as you understand them. And then let's check the plan and see if you're right. And if you are great, we're good to go. If you're not, then we need to rethink or we need to redocument or readdress how we are going to approach this because you're not properly trained in how to respond. You know, mm -hmm. we do not want, you know, Joe Smith in the IT department talking to the media, although that may be a first response is, you know, if they see them out there, you know, outside the data center with a, a fire hose or something, you know, someone's going to ask a question. So it's, it's really emphasizing what their roles and responsibilities are at time of disruption, not business as usual, because mm -hmm. we're shifting 180 degrees out of faith. And I, I think that's what uh, happens a lot with training and exercises is we use so many of these different scenarios that really what we're doing is we're responding to something that's been uh, dreamt, dreamt about and, you know, and made up and, you know, uh, full of assumptions and biases and things like that. Not, you know, hey, the alarms are really going off. There's real smoke here. You, you know, you can hear people screaming. 
you know, that kind of feeling. And that making your, your exercises more realistic helps with training. So you're right. Someone, you know, someone thought up that scenario and wrote it in such a way that it, it travels down a logical path. Well, using different tools to kind of shake up that scenario can help you in training is, you know, going along, as I mentioned, as far as Homeland Security uses a lot of um, injects. So they have prepared injects that depending on how the conversation is going, they'll throw something in. So it's essentially throwing the wrench in, into the work and seeing how you respond, um, which can also drive future training uh, options as well as maybe a restructuring of planning documents, making them you know n not so precise, a little bit more vague, a little bit more flexible. Because um, none of us want to pick up that brick and open it up and try and read it step by step of what we're supposed to do. We want it, we want it to be as inherent and natural as possible. Right. On that note, uh, that we're going to end our second segment. Today, we are talking with Carrie Jasger, and we're talking about, are you focusing on the proper areas of resiliency for your organization? And we will be right back. Let's see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes. Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Challenges in the workplace and within teams are only increasing as companies struggle to transition to a post-COVID-19 remote work situation. These unstable times have stretched companies and their leaders beyond their capacity, and they do not know how to maintain a balance of authority, empathy, compassion, and assertiveness toward their coworkers, much less continue their own career trajectory. Leading with Intention with Monique Gagnon offers support, encouragement, and tools to help corporate leaders address their personal shortcomings and emerge from these unprecedented times as well-rounded, self-assured leaders. Leading with Intention, Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Today, we are talking with Carrie Jasger, and we are talking about, are you focusing on the proper areas of resilience in your organization? Carrie, great first and second segment. We Thank talked. You. We talked about five uh, key areas. I know there are more, but we talked about five uh, key areas: uh, risk assessments, supply chains, uh, multiple uh, disruptions uh, occurring at the same time, exercising and testing, and training of an awareness. To your knowledge, are there any of those that aren't getting the attention they should be? Well, when you, when you say attention, you mean from senior leadership or from organizational participation? Because a good one is from an awareness standpoint. If every single member of the organization is not aware that a program exists, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of both, like not just for leadership, but even somebody who's uh, you know working in the resilience program, you know, oh, I'm putting all my resources into looking at um, testing right now. Yeah, but we're not updating any of our plans, so we're just testing the same thing over and over again. That kind of thing. So it's 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 just like life. Everything needs to be balanced properly. Um, and if, for example, if you work in a regulated industry, um, those tests and exercises 
tend to bubble to the top a little bit more because it's a, it's a requirement that they must be done. <laughs> so an organization in that, you know, you plan those out a year in advance, you know, you get ready for them, you know, all of that. So that's kind of coast along pretty easy. Um, assessment generally, depending on if you've had a change in the organization that may trigger, you know, we need to focus on our risk assessments or BIAs or general assessments because we've done a restructuring or we acquired another company or we split off into two companies. So it may be situational that may drive, you know, the need for risk assessments to boil to the top. Um, the preparation for multiple disruptions, that should be like mainstay always at the top and always on everyone's mind because depending on on where your organization is located and in a lot of cases multiple locations across the country or across the globe you have to be watching all kinds of things that can be going on so that's that's your state of readiness um, in deploying your program i think that supply chains post-covid have now kind of calmed down they're no longer the you know it moment, if you will. Uh, but again, it depends on organizational change. If you're bringing new product to the market, you may have to source different uh, supply chains. So I think it's more of a, depending on the path your organization is taking in and what's going on, may bubble one of those five or any other area uh, within resilience mm -hmm. up to the surface for a temporary amount of time. And then it comes back down to a, a kind of a normal maintained state. So we really have to be in tune with what's going on within our organization, you know, keeping our eyes and ears open and creating yeah. those uh, relationships so that we do know that change it has or is going to be occurring. As, as long as you've the resilient individual or team has developed those relationships with key business owners, uh, you would get, in, let's just say, if you have a, a formal project management office, you know, the head of the PMO might say, hey, we're onboarding this new application that's a SaaS vendor and we've never worked with them before. Okay, well, a risk assessment is going to come into play, but if PMO doesn't actually, if you don't have that relationship, you're not going to know. You're not going to know if changes are shifting in the organization. You're not going to know from legal if we're undergoing a you know, merger acquisition or if the audit team has actually stated, you know, we're, we got hit with an unexpected audit, so we need to shift gear. So it's really being on the pulse of what's going on in the organization to better adjust and respond and bring your tools to bear. Yeah. And that's, uh, it, that's really being in tune with what's happening really is, you know, everywhere, internal and external to the organization. Yes. That's, that's not easy for some people, especially when we have many of us, myself included being departments of one, Maybe if we're lucky, too. <laughs> so any advice for people like that on how to stay in tune with all of this? Yeah, the fun way, um, drink a lot. Uh, <laughs> the more realistic way is, you know, we've been talking about understanding the business and building those relationships. And that's crucial for a department of one or two, because you as that, that one or two people within the resilience department, you need to rely on business owners, on senior leadership. So it's not really pushing the work, it's pushing the ownership and the engagement. So you're now, think of yourself as a business partner rather than it's me knocking on your door saying it's that time of year to update your plan. It's it's more of a, a proactive environment that, you know, XYZ business leader would call, call me and say, hey, I'm about to hire six more people. Do we need to take a look at you know, our planning structure and our you know, division of resources and all of that? That's where that comes into play. So it becomes more of a, a or, an organic type of environment and just naturally like you would communicate with anyone else. And, it, and that helps if you've got that relationship. If you don't, chances are you're going to get to an exercise or something like that and who are all these people and what are you talking about <laughs> yeah, and, and and that's where you fall back on the never let a good disaster go to waste and that could be an, that could be an exercise or uh, taking the time again to point out what happens if this does not work yeah um it's you're 
as a department of one or two, you're constantly selling your worth. Because if, if you go for 10 years and nothing goes wrong, leadership starts to question, you know, why do we need you here? And the answer is, well, because I've been here for the last 10 years, nothing's gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. The reason nothing has happened is because we have something in place. You know, you take that, that linchpin out and then, well, things start falling apart. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's selling the, the program's worth by building those relationships so that you become a trusted partner yeah. and by continuing to point out that, you know, if we take a right instead of a left, what goes wrong? So how do we go about changing that though? Because a lot of us, um, you know, a lot of people, viewers and listeners right now, they're busy doing the BIAs or assessments or writing plans or whatever the case may be. How can, they're doing all the, the tactical action-based work. How can they kind of go about changing so that they can communicate that strategic work because the, you know it, it's difficult to to make that uh, transition and change or incorporate you know that view into their activities because that's what their role is. Do our BIAs do this, do that, and thou shall not do anything else. <laughs> well, it's looking at your organizational culture really really helps because you know we all of us have done BIAs a thousand times over. They do not need to be the me sitting in front of you asking you a series of mind-numbing questions. It should be more of a engaged discussion of how your business works and what tools do you need to do it and how do we protect those. So by engaging more, you'll get to find that those business owners have a vested interest in being successful and not being the one called out if something happens and their team is not responding properly. You know, they want they want to get the gold star in class. Um, and the better you can help them do that or help them get recognized, the better your better job off your job is going to be and the easier it is going to be. Because now instead of every year sitting down and okay, it's plan update time, it's more of a organic type of thing that you may have a you know, every year then let's just take a quick glance at everything, look good. Because you've made updates throughout the year as different things have changed. And getting that that ownership, that buy-in, uh, makes it infinitely more successful. There are cultures where that does not exist. And at that point, your best bet is heads down, try not to get overly noticed, and make sure you're meeting all of your deadlines. Um, in that case, you're probably not in a happy environment. Uh, so... That's a, a life choice uh, that maybe you might want to question, do I still want to be here? Um, and we're oftentimes faced with, you know, lower headcount, you know, no budget. It needs to be done because we have to do it, which is a really bad approach to resilience. We should not have to do it. We should want to do it. Yeah. And you usually end up with the bare minimum, just enough to get that check mark in the tick box. Oftentimes, yes. Yeah. So, believe it or not, we only have uh, four minutes left. Uh, sorry, oh, three minutes left. What am I saying? Wow. <laughs> yeah, time flew. So, uh, I, I want to ask a quick question, though. How do we recognize when our programs are really on the right track? The CEO knows your name. <laughs> uh, because you've obviously worked really hard and really diligently to ingrain yourself within the organization and everyone is working as one cohesive group to not prevent disruptions because that's near impossible but you're not as phased when it does show up right the flip side of that is if you're doing a bad job the ceo probably knows your name as well um, <laughs> but it's it's nobody people actually want to talk to you not have to talk to you yeah. I, I know, you know, a lot of times people ask the question, how do I know when my program is, you know, I, I'm missing the mark, you know, things I need to change. But very rarely do we ask, you know, how do I know when I'm on the right path? You know, what kind of things can I recognize that I'm doing the right thing? You know, very I, few people kind of point that out. And the the easiest is, um, depending on your industry, benchmark yourself against other industries. You know, as long as you're not sharing trade secrets, um, 
you know, if you work in insurance, you know, reach out to, you know, your counterpart in another insurance company. Probably you've met each other at conferences before or, you know, webinars or something and say, what are you doing that works? They don't have to go into grave detail. Right. And that can help level set that you're on the right track. Yeah, I think so. I, good advice. We're, we're nearing the end of the show. Carrie, do you have any final thoughts or uh, final comments you'd like to share? Be doing what you're doing, everyone. Um, you are doing you are doing it for for a reason, um, and it's not the paycheck. That's the bonus. Yeah, I, I have the same thought. You know, if the reason I do all this stuff is not for a paycheck, it's I want to help people and I want to make sure everybody is successful. Reward will come after. And to your point, if the if you're doing it that way, the CEO is going to know your name because they know you're contributing. Exactly. Yes. Gary, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate you chatting. Uh, it was great meeting you in Phoenix, uh, you know, a few weeks back. And uh, I'm glad that uh, you were able to find some time and come talk to us today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Good. I'm glad. And uh, who knows, uh, maybe we'll run into you at uh, DRJ or another conference uh, another time and we'll we'll get you back again. Anything's possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much, Carrie. I really appreciate it. And everyone watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.